Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Jasmine Guadalupe Morales, an outreach and prevention education specialist for Fair Girls, a D.C.-based intervention and holistic care organization that provides services to female survivors of human trafficking. We'll discuss how human trafficking has been altered by the pandemic, the root causes of human exploitation, and how both the LGBTQ and Latinx populations remain at risk. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Sex trafficking is a form of modern slavery that exists throughout the United States and around the world. Sex traffickers use violence, threats, lies, debt, bondage, and other forms of coercion to compel individuals to engage in commercial sex acts against their will. Under U.S. federal law, any minor under the age of 18 years induced into commercial sex is a victim of sex trafficking, regardless of whether or not the trafficker used force, fraud, or coercion. While trafficking affects all demographics, traffickers frequently target individuals who lack strong support networks, are facing financial strains, have experienced violence in the past, or who are marginalized by society. Without adequate community support, Youth who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning may be at particular risk for sex trafficking. Another population at risk are immigrants. A broken system makes immigrants vulnerable to trafficking by virtue of their status as either undocumented or beholden to certain employers if they are here on temporary work visas. Today, we talk to Jasmine Guadalupe Morales, an outreach and prevention education specialist for Fair Girls, who breaks down for us how the traffic industry continues to grow and lets us know what we can do to help victims in our own community. I want to welcome to the show a very good friend of mine, Jasmine Morales who just got hired at Fair Girls as the Outreach and Prevention Education Specialist to be working on issues regarding human trafficking. It's an important issue that we rarely talk about, but that needs to be uplifted because it's affecting a lot of minority communities. Jasmine, welcome to the show. Hi, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. As you mentioned, I recently started working with Fair Girls as the Outreach and Prevention Education Specialist. I started in May, so my role has had a lot to do with quickly adapting to the changes throughout the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, you just got hired on and we just had this crazy pandemic change our lives. But man, starting a new job throughout this must be challenging. But before we get to your career, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where are you from? and your school and what brought you to DC? Yeah, of course. So I was born in San Jose, California. I'm a daughter of Mexican-American immigrants. So although I was born in San Jose, I moved to Mexico like as a few month year old baby. And I lived in Mexico till I was about five. Then we moved back to San Jose. I was raised here went to school at UC Irvine and got my bachelor's in criminology law and society. 
throughout my time at Irvine, I had the opportunity to study abroad. So I had the chance to go to Paris and London, Barbados. I worked a lot with the immigrant community, worked a lot with youth, and worked on a variety of different research projects, including projects on incarceration and how it affects the families of the incarcerated members. I worked on research studies on Latinas, college students and sexual assault. And I have a passion for working with vulnerable communities. So I was about to say, you have a beautiful <laughs> background to be working with an agency that combats human trafficking. I mean, you just laid out the case for why you're in this position. Yeah. <laughs> And you've enjoyed all these experiences, correct? Yeah, and I actually was an intern at Fair Girls two years ago. I participated in my school's University of California DC internship program two years ago, and I was a Fair Girls intern. So I have known about the organization for a while, have you know very closely aligned with their mission in eradicating human trafficking one live at a time, one girl at a time. So once the pandemic hit and I realized how much it would affect individuals such as victims of trafficking, I was like, okay, I need to do something. <laughs> what do I do? Yes. So I started reaching back out to the organization and it turned out that they were hiring for a role that I feel perfectly suits me because I love community engagement. I love informing folks and raising awareness on these different issues. So I moved to DC in May, finished my degree online, graduated in June. So yeah. One of the, the ways that I got to meet you was the work that you did, your outreach. You came to speak to my local LULAC group about human trafficking. And I was very moved by the work that you do. Because not only does uh, Fair Girls work to spread awareness and educate folks about the dangers of human trafficking in the, in the communities, but you also help these um, victims of human trafficking get back on their feet. You just don't stop the human trafficking on that victim, but you re help repair their lives. You, you provide them sort of like a, uh, uh, the first steps to getting back to a good place where they can be self-sufficient and safe. And I really I really like that part of the story that you just don't end your relationship with the victim. You want that person to be successful and, 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 and healed. Tell us a little bit about that work. Yeah, so Fair Girls was founded in 2003 by Andrea Powell and Caroline Tower Morris with the purpose of providing long-term therapeutic interventions, including safe housing for exploited and trafficked young women and girls. So the Vita home, which is our safe home, was then opened in 2014, and it remains as the only safe home for survivors of human trafficking, ages 18 to 25. And in addition to those housing services, as you mentioned, we help survivors through their healing recovery process. We provide case management services. Each survivor that either lives at the home or you know, doesn't necessarily reside at the home but still receives our services is connected with the case manager that helps them with any legal matters, any educational matters, 
medical needs that they may have, whether it is getting their teeth fixed, because sometimes that's, you know, what they may want, whether it is getting back to school, um, helping gain custody for their children, case managers are the middle person between helping them get those services. And in addition to that, we also do our prevention education, which is what I do in raising awareness within communities. So I provide presentations for community members, service providers, and local law enforcement. One of the areas that we have been expanding a lot in through prevention education is working with law enforcement, because unfortunately, a lot of the time, law enforcement will fail to recognize signs and arrest rather than refer victims. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and it, it kind of like, they're going after the wrong person, you know? Mm -hmm. already a victim. They've already experienced so much abuse from the people that make money off of them. And it's just, it's just really sad that that law enforcement doesn't doesn't see it as someone they can help and they end up incarcerating that person. But I think that y'all are doing a great job because I've known people in the criminal justice system that there's certain judges that recognize that there's programs like this. And yeah. rather than sending this, sentencing these um, women to time, they tell them, no, get in this program and I need you to report back to me how you're doing. And I love that they're already working with the victim to try to get them on that path. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we work with a lot of attorneys in DC providing training for them as well, just so, like you said, sometimes even if initially they don't recognize the signs, then the attorney will be like, wait, no, this is what's going on. So exactly training a variety of professionals definitely helps. We need numbers in combating human trafficking. So like you mentioned, we had this pandemic and you got hired. Has the pandemic slowed human trafficking or has it made it worse? It's definitely made it worse. One thing about COVID-19 and human trafficking is that they have one very important factor in common. They both feed and prey upon systemic racial and social inequalities. So it has not stopped during the pandemic. In fact, the economic hardships, the isolation, and traffickers targeting and recruiting online has increased as a result of the prolonged pandemic. So it has deepened vulnerabilities and risk factors for those who were already at risk, specifically those from um, racial, like, especially for racial minorities. One thing is that at Fair Girls, we have a 24-7 crisis hotline. Our calls have tripled during, the during this wow. time. So yeah, that just goes to show how much um, this is impacting folks. So we, while this is already you know, some consequences we are seeing, we believe that this is only the beginning of negative and long-term impacts that we'll continue to see in the, in the anti-trafficking field. What is the biggest culprit in human trafficking? So there's two things I wanna talk about here. One of them being finances. Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal industry and they, it is the second largest following drug trafficking. 
So one of the main reasons why human trafficking is such a fast growing criminal industry is because there are individuals that will prey on poverty and vulnerabilities that other folks are experiencing. Uh, like a lot of people say, like a lot of experts in the anti-trafficking field always say, while you can sell a drug once, you can sell a person multiple times. Wow. So I think the finances are definitely one of the biggest factors. So then that brings us to thinking more about capitalism, you know, and the way the country is run. Yeah. And as we think about capitalism, the history of our country, another thing that comes to mind is our history of slavery and colonization. And a lot of the time it can be difficult for folks to understand the connection here, but what I've heard a lot of survivors say, specifically black survivors and survivors of color in general, is that slavery was the first form of trafficking and we see this being reflected in a way because white men are disproportionately accounting for the number of buyers. So most buyers are white men and most victims are black women, women of color, trans women of color. So what we are seeing here is a reflection consequences of our country's very violent history of slavery and colonization. Because this is really what it comes down to, that this is not about love or sex. This is about violence and power over someone. Yeah. And that's the way they need to get off. And it's just really sad. And I'm so glad you laid it out for me so I could see it in those terms that this is really about a, a power thing. Yeah. Over people, vulnerable communities. That's really sad. Um, right. What are some of the com common pitfalls that place victims in the hands of traffickers? Yeah, so I'll go through a few of the different ones that we usually talk to during our presentations. The top one being chronic homelessness. So one thing about traffickers is that they will prey on vulnerabilities. There's a video that talks about the way that traffickers use Maslow's hierarchy of needs to prey on people's needs, desires, then gain their trust, groom them to exploit them. So one of the biggest thing, like I said, is identifying these vulnerabilities. And as we know, individuals experiencing homelessness are very vulnerable because of their, you know, unstable housing gives traffickers an opportunity to prey on this housing insecurity. Another big one is members of the LGBTQI plus community. And as we know, homophobia is a big issue <laughs> internationally. So as a result, members of the LGBTQI plus community are stigmatized, do not have access to as many resources, lack support systems. Yeah, yeah, the list goes on. And again, that gives traffickers an opportunity to prey on them. Another one is substance abuse. So there's 
traffickers that will either create or exploit on someone's substance abuse history. And then folks that have been in the juvenile justice system, they often are stigmatized, again, lack resources and fall as a vulnerable category. Similarly, immigrants are at very high risk. You know, a lot of the time immigrants flee their countries because they are fleeing some violent circumstances. They may be fleeing po poverty, whatever it is, those vulnerabilities come with them. And then traffickers here can exploit them and take advantage of the fact that they may be undocumented and then make threats and yeah it's it's and really sad yes uh what are some of the things that communities are doing to help end trafficking in their city like local laws social services programs you talked about working with the law enforcement what are some of the things that are successful for some communities yeah so I think that one of the things that has really been helping is training law enforcement. Throughout our partnership with law enforcement, we have been able to, like I said, help end that arresting of <laughs> individuals who have been victimized. Of course, the fact that sex workers shouldn't be arrested in general is a whole other very important topic. But as it pertains to trafficking victims, we have definitely been helping end that. So I think that folks should continue to advocate for law enforcement to receive human trafficking training in their own communities. I think that another thing is training school staff. So- you recognize the, 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 the warning signs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Recently, we've been training a lot of educators. We actually have a partnership with the DC public school system through which we've trained their social workers and we're gonna be implementing human trafficking prevention education curriculum at DC middle schools and high schools. So uh, I think- Middle schools. And that's important because they're, I mean, these victims get younger and younger. Yeah. It's important exactly. that you're reaching to that age. Yeah. So there's definitely controversy on the age of entry, but I think it's safe to say that right now youth especially need that because as we've mentioned with the pandemic, traffickers have been preying on youth at very high rates. So different studies note that the ages 11, 13 between there but we've also heard studies that note is 19 regardless of what the age is as you said the age has definitely seems to be getting younger and younger so it's super important to bring that education there you had mentioned some unique dangers that face the lgbtqi community when it comes to human trafficking what are some of the things that you you've noticed Aside from them not being able to have resources because they're they're often runaways sometimes they're they're yeah. throwaways and runaways that have yeah. to get away from abusive household they end up couch surfing and they just end up in this line of work 
when they don't have resources. What are some of the things that you're doing at Fair Girls to address this problem? Yeah, so as you mentioned, a lot of the time LGBTQI plus folks will be very stigmatized, ostracized, and have to end up couch surfing due to the rejection of their families and communities. So all of the risk factors that I mentioned earlier are even further amplified for the LGBTQI plus community, especially for youth. So one of the things that we are doing is through our street outreach, we have a partnership with MPD where we go out to areas that are hotspots for sex selling in the area. We go out and provide folks with resources, with care bags, talk to them about the fact that there are organizations in the area that are willing to help. We don't go up to them and say, hey, we're an anti-trafficking organization because you know someone may not identify yeah. as such, but we just <laughs> talk to them about resources. And one of the specific areas that we focus on has a large LGBTQI plus community. So that is one of the ways through which we um, target LGBTQI plus folks and help bring resources to. That's them. so important because they, they need someone to let them know a place to sleep. They don't want to be lectured on, but they do need to know, hey, yeah. we're going to go lay my head at night, you know, yeah. and get out of the cold. Yeah, exactly. A lot of this time, um, sometimes like in the past community where I lived in Dallas, um, we, the community got together and we opened up a youth center because we had problems with youth that would hang outside the gay bars because they would go to the gay street where they could go mm -hmm. be themselves with their with their peers they couldn't get into the bars but they would hang out on the street and that became a problem because it's almost like that's not a place for kids to be hanging out you know right. so yeah. we created a youth center so they could have a place where they could drop in after school on the weekends where it was a safe place and an age appropriate place to be at and sometimes communities have to start thinking about these populations they're not going to be welcomed in the mainstream parts of town so we need to figure out appropriate places. Uh, so for the Latinx community, what are some of the dangers you're seeing there? I think right now, one of the biggest ones is the intersection with human trafficking and COVID. Like we talked about earlier, we know that COVID and human trafficking have both been pre preying on systemic inequalities. And we've seen the numbers with our Latinx community being disproportionately affected by COVID. Yes. So. Yes. Another thing is specifically in the DMV area and in places like California, what we've seen a lot of is recently MS 13 preying on young Latinas. So when it comes to gang trafficking, one of the most common types of gang trafficking that we see is with MS-13, where they'll unfortunately prey on young Latinas and there's a very violent initiation process, a lot of coercion and force. Uh, so you definitely need to continue to protect our youth and make them aware of the different risks. That's scary. So you shared a lot of information on this podcast about how to combat human trafficking. Can, where can people, you know, go to learn more about your organization and how they can support? Yeah, so our website is 
fairgirls.org. It is spelled F-A-I-R-G-I-R-L-S. And I realize I did not say this at the beginning, but FAIR stands for Free, Aware, Inspired, and Restored. So in addition to our website, you can also find us on Twitter. Again, that is FAIR underscore girls. And our Instagram is Fair Girls Inc. Our Facebook and LinkedIn are both just Fair Girls. You can also email me directly if you have any requests for presentations or would like to chat more about. And you can do this virtually. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> right? Correct. <laughs> and my email is jmorales at fairgirls.org. So that is J-M-O-R-A-L-E-S at F-A-R-G-I-R-L-S dot org. Our big fundraiser isn't going to be until April, but we are always accepting donations. And they're tax deductible? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And all of that information is available on our website. There's a donations tab. But thank you so much, Jasmine for i mean you like at the very beginning you came with a lot of knowledge and skills and education and you decided um that this is the place where you needed to be at so we are so grateful that you're in this powerful position to help so many people that are vulnerable in the community especially the queer brown community that needs people like you advocating for them so I deeply appreciate the work that you do for the community. And I'm so happy that we're pairing up with yeah. future work on LULAC. I'm so glad that you've become part of the LULAC family in the Washington, D.C. And I look forward to hearing some great things about you. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Jesse. It's a pleasure being here with you. And thank you so much for all the work that you do.